We're just continuing our reading in Malachi, um, and it's chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he is no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Let me pray one last time before we hear uh, the sermon. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows in them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord God Almighty, that is what we believe at this church, that your word endures forever, that your word is good for us, even whenever uh, it makes us uncomfortable, it challenges us, it convicts us. Lord, thank you that it's always for our good, for your glory, whenever we hear uh, the hard things of the Bible. So Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us now. Lord, we thank you that um, it's your spirit that gives life, that, that helps us see the Lord Jesus in all of the scriptures that we look at. So pray, I pray especially for your help now to be uh, gentle, winsome, uh, kind, but also clear, and to not um, shrink back from the word that you have for us today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like the, the prayer itself has been almost like a, a forecast of, of how I'm doing, because this week, as I've, I've come and looked at this text, um, even six months ago, whenever we decided Malachi and I was allocated this text, you know, I have not been looking forward to doing teaching on this passage, you know, because there are lots of hard and difficult things. And actually, if you get enthusiastic about preaching on divorce, unfaithfulness, you're a bit strange, to be honest. 
And yet the way we do things at the bridge, if this is your first time here and you're visiting, you're very welcome. But the way we do things is that we go through the books of the Bible verse by verse because we believe that God speaks through the Bible. So we don't just pick and choose the, the nice passages which we want to hear. I'm sure uh, we might most weeks want to hear that God loves us and that we're great and that there's no problems. But if we never spoke on the difficult passages of Scripture, we wouldn't hear what God has to say on the mess of human relationships and human lives. But also, if we did that, if we picked and chose, if this week we skipped this passage and just went on to something easier, you should start looking for another church. That's what we believe here. That is why we're doing difficult passages like this. And as, as we had it read, the problem that we find in this particular passage is that the people of God were being unfaithful. You know, if you have the text in front of you, you'll see it uh, five times, the word unfaithful. You see it in verses 10, 11, 14, 15, and 16. So if you're starting out on your Christian journey and you think the Bible's really confusing, just look for the repeated words. That'll give you a good idea of what the passage is really about. It is all about unfaithfulness in our human relationships with one another. And I think we'd all agree, the pandemic's probably confirmed that to lots of us, but human relationships are so important. They are so valuable, aren't they? And since they're valuable, since they're important, God has ways in which he wants us to act in those human relationships. So if you've ever been to a museum before or to see some sort of artifacts like the crown jewels, you'll notice surrounding these valuable things, you'll see uh, barriers, guards, protection, um, glass, whatever it may be, because the valuable thing needs protecting from damage. So each time you hear a difficult or a challenging thing, think about it as God's sort of guardrails to protect us in our human relationships. They're guardrails to protect us because this is the way God wants us to live. And if God says it, it must be for our good and for our flourishing. But let's think about what is unfaithfulness? I've said it's the big idea of this passage, unfaithfulness. Well, let's think about the, the positive side of the word, faithfulness. Because the Bible talks a lot about faithfulness. It talks about God himself being faithful. We've, we've just sung about it. And the way the Bible talks about faithfulness is that God is true to his word. So he says what he means, and he means what he says. Let me say that again. God says what he means, and he means what he says. Faithfulness means that there's an integrity, there's a wholeness to who God is, and in his actions, he is faithful. There's a wholeness. You can tr trust what he says. So the reverse of that must mean the opposite that um, the people of God in this passage were being unfaithful. They weren't saying what they meant, and what they meant they didn't say. There was a lack of integrity. They were being deceptive. They weren't being honest. And that, that's just the introduction of this little passage before we look at the three different points that we're going to see this morning and how they're being unfaithful. So the, the, each time we look at it, we're going to think about how they're being unfaithful, why is that a big problem? And what does that mean for us today in Cardiff in 2021? So the, the first way they're being unfaithful is they're being unfaithful in their day-to-day -day interactions with one another. So that's the first point, unfaithfulness in relationships to one another. Look down, if you have a Bible, at verse 10. I think, I hope I put it on the slides. Uh, let me read it to you. Verse 10 says this, Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? 
Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? This is a wee bit of a summary of where we've been in the book of Malachi. We see in these verses that the people were not being faithful to one another. And by definition, the people of God, people in the church, followers of Jesus, should be known for their faithfulness. But instead, the people of Jude in Malachi's day were known for their unfaithfulness. So they were being false, disloyal, deceitful, those sorts of words. They couldn't be trusted You know, they were double-crossing their friends and family. They spoke out of the side of their mouth. They were conning one another. They couldn't be trusted. And actually, as we looked in Malachi, we've seen this sort of all stems from the question that they ask in chapter 1, verse 2. How have you loved us? They doubt God's love, and then everything falls apart from there. Because they're doubting God's love, their interactions with one another have been affected. You know, even as we, we looked last week, Matt helped us with that. He saw that the people were bringing to God their worst, their second best. And whenever you think about it, if they're bringing their worst to God, the one who created all things, imagine what they're going to be doing to each other. You know, if God is getting second best or worst, that means that the other people around them were only going to be getting worse things. They were only going to be more deceitful and dishonest to one another. But we also saw that the priests weren't teaching what is right. Meaning there's a natural moral decline whenever God's message to the world is not being communicated. And we see that in our day. As we abandon our foundations in the Lord, society begins to unravel. But but for this people of this day, they weren't being taught from Exodus through Deuteronomy, where God in particular tells them, how they're to live with one another in a covenant, within relationship with him. And because of that, they had no interest in knowing how they should live their lives. They were basically doing whatever suits will go. But you might sit there and think, you know, why, why does God have anything to say with how I live my day-to-day life? Like, surely he can butt out. Why should I care about what God has to say about the way I live? Well, that's firstly a very good question. I'm glad you're asking it. Well, look down at verse 10 because it helps us. Why should we listen to what God says? Verse 10 says this, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? So if there is a God and he created us, he knows what his creation needs. In the same way, the designer of a car knows what goes into the car and knows what is best to get it to function. If there is a God who created all things, we should think very carefully as a society, as mankind, as humankind, to disregard those laws. But the people of Malachi's day didn't just know God as creator, sort of pie in the sky. They also knew him as father. These people knew his intimate hand in their lives. And God is saying, since he's their father, people should look at God's people and say, like father, like son. Their faithfulness reminds me of God who is faithful. You know, people often say to me, whenever they meet me and my dad, they say, like father, like son, because dad went gray gray early, I'm going gray early. Dad talks too much, I talk too much. The list can go on. But people look at me and see the way I act and say, like father, like son. You know, like mother, like daughter, etc. But I wonder if that could be true of you today, you know, 
do people look at you and say, they represent the God they follow so well? And actually, look, look down at verse 10. Malachi includes himself in this. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? It, Malachi isn't sort of distant saying, this is all your fault, you're doing this wrong. He himself is there. He is unfaithful. This is for me as well, the preacher. I have been unfaithful. And actually, whenever we look at these verses, verse 10, the word that's used is really strong, isn't it? Profane. You have profaned the, the covenant of our ancestors. You know, to disrespect, disregard, to be irreverent to who God is. So what is God saying? Minor, day-to-day, little hiccups or missteps. Are, are not minor. They profane the fact that we follow him. It is like showing God the middle finger. It's like spitting in his face. It is a crime against him. This is a serious thing. And too often, we think too lightly about this. Well, what does that mean for us today? Well, Jesus talks about being faithful with a little will mean you will be faithful with a lot. I wonder if that's true of our lives. Faithful with a little faithful with a lot. Are you known as someone who's trustworthy, dependable? They're, they practice what they preach. <laughs> I'll never forget, it was a very embarrassing moment for me, but um, on a rugby pitch, um, a referee asked my opinion on something. I, I'd done something wrong in the match, and he asked me, did you knock the ball on? And I went, no, I didn't. And the other team said, well, he would obviously say that because it's for his benefit. And one of the other boys on my team said, no, he's a Christian. Like, you can trust his words. And I then had to, you know, actually say, oh gosh. I was like, no, I lied. Like, I actually knocked it on, like, in the middle of the pitch. And you're just like, oh no. But that's, that's the reality, isn't it? Like, this is us. This is me. This is all of us. Do our words match our actions? Do people look at us and say, that is a person who loves Jesus and follows him? Like, being unfaithful is not a small matter. God is deeply interested in the faithfulness of his people. We're going to keep going. The second thing that God says to the people of Malachi's day and us today is that they're being unfaithful because they were marrying people who weren't believers. So let me read to you verses 11 through to 12. It says, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. So how were they being unfaithful? They were marrying people that God did not approve of. So whenever you look down and you see um, that they're marrying a uh, a woman who worships a foreign god. This isn't a matter of marrying a foreigner. This is marrying someone who does not trust and follow uh, the God of the Bible. So you might sit there and think, why is that such a big deal? How is that unfaithfulness? Well, once again, if, if you have a Bible and you flick back to Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 7 verses 3 to 4 say this. This is God's command to his people. Do not intermarry with them. That's the foreign nations. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take 
Take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. That's pretty heavy going. So why is God so passionate, so interested in who his people date and marry? I don't think there's dating in those days, but who his people marry? Well, it says here in Deuteronomy that marrying a person who doesn't believe in the same God as them will cause them to turn away from their faith. I suppose this is in particular for younger people, people who are single. We think of flirting to convert. God says that is not a good strategy. But we need to remember once again to look back at the context. Since they question God's love for them, they think, God doesn't know what's best for me. He does not know what's best for me because if he knew what's best for me, he would have brought me someone who was a Christian who I loved. But whenever we read these verses here and we question God's love, does he really love me? The opposite of love is not anger, but indifference. You know, if a man is flirting with your wife, you're compelled to anger. You know, actually, if you didn't care, if you were indifferent, that would show that you didn't really love your wife. And God says to us today, I care about you so much, and I want you to be completely committed to me. And if you marry someone who is not a follower of God, they will lead you astray. But in Malachi's day, they didn't see why that mattered. And they, they didn't really see it as something that would impact them or their lives. I suppose as well, we need to bear in mind that the people of Israel had come back from exile, they come back from exile, and they were essentially refugees. They had nothing to their name. They were very poor economically, socially, whatever it may be. And they looked around them and saw other nations and thought, well, they have some land, they have some money, they have some standing. I'd say, it's for my benefit to marry them because then I will get all these things. And God says, no, that is not the way to do things. That's not the way to do things. And in Malachi's day in particular, the Jewish men had a mark of circumcision that showed very clearly that God was interested in their private and personal lives. You know, coming to church on Sunday does not absolve us of our sins. God is interested in our personal lives. He cares so much because of what he paid for us. So how does this apply to us today? It's probably pretty, pretty obvious, but we live in a world where it says you are nobody unless someone loves you. You know, unless you have a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, spouse, whatever term is applicable to you. The culture constantly says, if you do not have this, you're living a half-life. And even whenever we're in church, we can often feel like that we get the same message at, at church as well. I suppose what's important for us is for those who are single in our church to continually embrace them and bring them into, into our lives not to be distant from those that, that are single, to show them that the church truly is a family. You know, the issue here, whenever we think, okay, slim pickings in the church, I better, you know, spread the net wider and look elsewhere. I, I talked recently to, to someone who had gone out on one or two dates with someone, and on the second date, they found out that this person had no interest in their faith, no interest in God, whatever, at all. And the person said to me, oh, that's going to be a problem down the line. And you think, if it's going to be a problem down the line, surely you deal with it right now. Because down the line, it just gets more and more complicated. 
You know, we, we can all testify to the fact that the Christian life is hard. But marriage, dating, whatever it may be, it's supposed to be like a triangle, you know, both pointing each other upwards towards God. But maybe, maybe another illustration will help us here. Um, what is marriage supposed to be? If you imagine marriage, if you mar- imagine marriage like carrying a heavy weight, this is no reflection on my marriage, just to be clear. But um, if you imagine being married like carrying a heavy weight, if you're both carrying it together, it is much easier. I carried this from my house and I was exhausted by the time I got to church. But if you're both carrying that weight together, if the other person does not trust, follow, love the Lord Jesus, they're going to be pulling it in the other direction. They're going to be knocking it out of your hand. They're going to be tripping you up. That is the reality. That's why we say, look, it is so important to, to marry someone, to date someone who is a Christian. And actually, if, if that person never comes along, that singleness is God's best plan for your life, no matter what the culture says. Now, now this, this might be a very hard word, and I suppose what we need to bear in mind is what the rest of the Bible says. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about if a, a man or a woman uh, is married, becomes a Christian, and then are married to an unbeliever, that they should stay together. That's a, that's a good thing to do. So don't just hear this and feel like if you're married to someone who isn't a Christian, you've got to cut it off, just to be clear there. But I suppose what we need to remind one another, ourselves, in our friendship, to be faithful is to say, no, it is not right for you to date someone and marry someone who is not a Christian. That's what faithfulness looks like, and that is a really hard thing to do, and that has to be done with gentleness and respect and love. The last thing we're going to see is that they were being unfaithful to one another because they were divorcing their wives. So let me read to you uh, from verses 13 onwards. It says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So there's a wee bit of interplay between uh, points two and three, because whenever you read the commentaries and the scholars, they say that people were often uh, divorcing the wife of their youth, the one that they married in exile, because once they'd come back to Judah, they then saw these foreign nations, the, the, the land, the power, the authority that they had, and said, actually, I fancy that more. See you later, wife of my youth. I'm going after things that attract me more. And actually, isn't that so challenging to us you know often we think about divorce and it's all about me what about my needs what about this what about that and yet so we're so slow to come to what God's word says about this so in Deuteronomy 24 this is what God says about divorce if a man marries a woman 
who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. So the, the Bible does say divorce is allowed. Divorce is allowed to happen. But we have to remember that the priests weren't teaching what was right. So in that culture, the men saw that as a wide-open opportunity. They said, do you know what? I'm divorcing them for this, that, or the other. I found something displeasing. When actually, that displeasing means unfaithfulness in marriage, sexual unfaithfulness. So they were discarding these wives of their youth for anything they wanted just so that they could get ahead in life. You know, we sort of think the Bible's a really ancient document. It has nothing to say to us today. But how often do divorces still happen because of these sorts of reasons? You know, for financial gain, for social gain, for comfort, for convenience, for self. Now, I should say very clearly that I've listened to a lot of sermons, read a lot of books this week on divorce. And in one particular sermon, it was 50 minutes long, and he said, there's not a time in 50 minutes to say everything the Bible has to say on divorce. And we're in the third point of a 25-minute sermon, so we're not going to keep going. But there, there's some things that we need, we could look at to consider. So I think it was two years ago, Matt preached from Mark chapter 10 on divorce. And there's another resource for you to go and listen to maybe this afternoon. But I also know that in some membership interviews that I did, that someone's reason for committing to the Bridge Church was that we preached on a difficult passage of scripture like divorce and didn't shirk away from it. That's just a little side point. There's other passages as well, 1 Corinthians 7 for your notes and Deuteronomy 24. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about divorce. What does the Bible say in the most simple possible way? It says that divorce is never the right end for marriage. So the Bible is simple in that it teaches that divorce is never the right end for a marriage. But yet at the same time, it is complex because the Bible speaks about a world that is sinful and that is broken where marriages break down. And I know that many of us in the room have been affected by divorce in some sort of way. So I suppose it's important to understand why God in this particular passage is being so strong, seemingly so harsh about this topic of divorce. In verse 15, I find the English Standard Version's translation particularly helpful in this. Verse 15 says this, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeing? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. The reason why God is so invested and so opposed to divorce is because of what marriage represents and how invested he is in marriages. You know, that word there, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? In a marriage, it is not man and woman coming together. It is a threefold union. God has brought man and woman together. We, we see that in verse 14 as well. The Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You know, whenever you go to a wedding ceremony, so often it's, let's just get past the voice, past all that malarkey, and then let's go and have a good time. But actually, whenever we see in the marriage ceremony, there's the wonderful moment whenever the minister says, um, who brings this woman to be married? And the, the father of the bride stands up and says, I do. In this passage, you know, 
it teaches us that behind every marriage, man and woman, it is God bringing two people together. He is the one who's consenting to unite them to one another. Jesus says it in Matthew 19. Um, we were at a wedding this summer, and there's a wonderful moment after the, se- well, after the vows, after the kiss has happened. The minister raises the two hands and says, what God has brought together, let man not separate. Marriage matters because God is the one who brought the two together. And you, all that stuff that we've just been thinking about, about being faithful to one another in our words and in our actions, in the sight of God and men, you make vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. This is my solemn vow. God is so interested in marriage because of his investment in it. Whenever we think about ourselves as people who are faithful to our words, think about that marriage day. You promised to be faithful for better, for worse, in the good and the bad, in the tough and the easy times, and God has given you his spirit to help you. So so whenever we think about these hard words, about sticking in a marriage when it's hard, We as a church want to be a church that says, talk to us if you're struggling in your marriage. We want to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. And those who feel like they're going strong in their marriage, listen carefully when God says, guard yourselves. Be on your guard in your marriages. Pray for your marriages. Speak about your marriages often to other people. This matters because we are a church body. These issues affect us all. And you, okay, we're nearly at the end and we're slumped in our chairs. We're absolutely exhausted because this is a heavy and a hard text. I suppose what we need to say for those who have been affected by divorce, who have found it really hard, divorce is not the unforgivable sin in the Bible. And actually, if we flick over to Ephesians 5, it tells us what marriage is all about. Ephesians 5 verse 25 say this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What does marriage represent? Why does it matter so much to the Lord? Because it represents Christ's love for you and for me. That he bought you with a price to make you holy, blameless, without spot or wrinkle. This morning, if you feel very spotty, very wrinkly, very condemned, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. This is what the gospel says, that you can be washed white as snow, clean as a whistle, because of what Christ has done for you. That you are pure and spotless and not defiled. And you can know that because we've just had communion. But we remembered the bread and the, well, the body and the blood poured out, broken for you and for me. That you can taste and see, that you can remember that God has forgiven you, that he's forgiven all of your sins poured out upon you because of what Christ has done. Every time you've been unfaithful in word or in deed, 
spoken or unspoken, in your imagination, in your actions, you can know that the God of heaven, the great husband to us, the bride, will one day take us home to be with him. Let me pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you that um, your word endures forever. So Lord, we pray that um, your word would um, convict, encourage, rebuke us. Lord, we pray that um, any questions or hard things that we wouldn't um, toss on the side, but that we would uh, speak about them and that you would um, make us more and more like the son who bled and died for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.